our planning process is really slow. It's really hard to get approvals to build new properties. And then you have all these restrictions with Greenbelt. And then you want to add on to that. You're listening to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hey, Right Club Nation. It's Alfonso Salemi here. Before we get started, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Have you checked out The Rock yet? What is it, do you ask? Well, it's the Right Club online community, a place where you can go to find your real estate investing and business answers and network with like-minded people. We have interactive forums, all the podcast episodes are there, hours of videos with a wide range of real estate investing, training and education, and so much more. It's free to join, so be sure to come grow with us at therightclub.com. Now, let's get to the podcast. Right Club community, welcome back to another episode. And I'm here with my co-host today, Francois Lantier. How are you? I'm good, Sarah. And how about you? I'm good. I'm good. Today's guest is Andrew Hines, the Andrew Hines from the Andrew Hines podcast. And we have a great conversation. He's actually uh, starting to invest in Florida. He's been there for the last three months. Uh, and we have a great conversation about some of the differences and, and what brought him to, uh, to start diversifying in a different country altogether. And, uh, and aside from that, what is new with the, the, with the Right Club that we can uh, tell our Right Club community? So the website, I know it's not new, new, but it's new-ish and it's really evolving. I think it's, it's really exciting to see the community come together uh, coast to coast to coast. And we, I'm connecting with people. I'm seeing a lot more people joining. That's really excellent. And our regional events too. We've been having some amazing times uh, learning about all provinces. We've covered all provinces and two out of three territories. We just, we're just missing Nunavut. So <laughs> we'll see very cool awesome right club community enjoy today's podcast and don't forget to leave rating and review let's bring in andrew hines andrew welcome to the show how are you good thanks for having me i'm excited to have you now you are and have been in florida for the last three months and uh and have been living a, a much more normal life than uh, than we have here and uh, i am a little envious though i'm at the cottage this week but uh for those people that may not know who you are, can you give us, say, a 30,000-foot view on how you got started in real estate investing in the first place? Okay. Yeah. So I started, uh, you know, as a younger kid, realizing that the normal path didn't make sense. You know, I heard my parents kind of disagreeing about money. And I'm like, hey, you know, I want to figure that out when I grow up. And uh, so I went to school. And then while at school, I see my, uh, my friends in these townhouses outside the gates of Western. Uh, and, and they're paying $500 a bedroom and there's like 80 bedrooms on that corner. I'm like, holy crap, this guy's making a lot of money. I need to do that. And uh, so student rentals were, were ultimately my goal. And it took me a little while to get there. But um, after a few hiccups, I finally started investing in student rentals in 2015 and doing the Burr model, eventually incorporated a company and started actually selling them as kind of purpose purpose rebuilt uh, investments and uh, started a general contractor company. Never thought I'd go there. Never thought I'd do that, but I was renovating my own properties and I got asked to do others. So now I'm building townhouses. I've built custom homes, um, you know, just a lot of things that I never thought I'd do, but uh, that's kind of how it goes in this business, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now you were on my podcast before and you are really good at burrowing the student rentals. And I remember you were adding bathrooms in each room and, and were mm -hmm. able to get a higher rent, which is awesome. But let, let's fast forward to what's happening, I guess, in 2020, 2020 2021 in regards to student rentals. Like what are you seeing uh, in your properties right now happening? And are you, are you pivoting at all? Good question. So I actually am being, I, I guess... I'm trying to think of the right word here. I'm really, I'm really attempting to be ahead of the curve here where if something is going to happen in student rentals, I'm going to be hedged against that. So student rentals were the majority of my position. So I decided to divest out of some of that. Um, so far, so good. Uh, quite frankly, like everybody's renewed. I have not missed a payment of rent. Um, I, like for the record, I have always thought student rentals were by far the best investment. Like I, you know, obviously biased, but to me, and from a management perspective, for so many reasons, so much better than our res regular residential rental. Um, but that was based on the notion that whether the economy's up or the economy's down, people go to school. That's all changed. So I think the biggest thing that we have to acknowledge about the last year and a few months is that all of our previous assumption assumptions need to be challenged. And what we thought was one way may not be. And uh, I no longer think student rentals are the guarantee they used to be, but uh, we've been given this opportunity to react. And anyone who has student rentals, if that's the majority of your position and you don't feel totally comfortable with that, you have the ability to make changes now because the market's still very strong for student rentals. And I've found as well, I, have, I don't have student rentals per se, but I do have some places that are more student friendly, I guess you could say. And the students I'm finding are different. They're older, they're more like PhD, uh, they're completing a degree. They're still international students in Canada, even during the pandemic, but they arrived here years ago. Mm -hmm. So they're finishing, I don't know, fourth year. So I don't know if that's something you're seeing as well. They're, they have a card or they're older, like to me, I don't know, 25 and a different crowd. Yeah. You know what? I haven't seen that, but what I've noticed is the students I have, they didn't want to go home even though school wasn't happening in person and, and they were just doing online classes, they still wanted to be there. So, and I think that that would persist for a few years to come, even if school wasn't going to come back in full swing. But I have started to see a little bit of it. I had one student say, well, I just can't afford to pay rent when I don't need to be here. And she, uh, she just found somebody to replace her on the lease. So anytime that's happened, I've just, they, they found somebody to replace them. I just subbed a new person in, into the lease. So that's all been when well and good. Like I said, there's, there's no cause for alarm just yet. I'm just thinking ahead. Um, I think that this is changing the dynamic in Ontario. I don't think Ontario is the same place it used to be. And I think that there's going to be a lot more online learning. Um, you know, so, so even if that decreases demand for student rentals just a bit, um, that means there's, there's less demand and, you know, the same supply. So prices are going to go down. The marginal rentals are not going to get rented the same. So, uh, you know, that probably wouldn't affect me nearly as much because I've always aimed to have really good product, like stand out amongst the uh, crowd. But for anyone with marginal rentals that are kind of far away or not in a great location or not a great product, um, now might be the time to consider selling those. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, 
And in, like you said, if you have something different, that's not cookie cutter, like every single other investor, you're going to stand out and you're going to have an easier time. And, you know, I just keep going back to the bathrooms and with every single room, having an ensuite and being mm-hmm. able to get, you know, instead of 500 bucks a month, you were, you know, getting eight, 850, probably more depending on, on, you know, what it is. If I was a student, I probably wouldn't want to go the cookie cutter route. I would say I'm going to go into, you know, something that I can have my own bathroom, my own space in and, and all that good stuff. So what are you... Um, um, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's affected you quite yet, but what are you now focusing on and buying these days to, to keep scaling? Or are you just enjoying your time in Florida? <laughs> uh, it's, it's been a bit of both. I mean, the last three months have been, you know, I've sold a, I've sold a few properties. I've, uh, I've uh, refinanced a couple. So I've put myself in a position where there's, uh, there's quite a bit of cash to be deployed. And I'm, uh, I'm looking at new construction down here in Florida. That's kind of been my game. So it's the thing that after three months here of going to real estate investor meetups and networking with people, it's, it's kind of what's felt the most like um, a plan that, that makes sense to me. I really like the fact that they're fully open down here in Florida. Uh, things are, are moving along and a lot of people are, are moving to Florida. So I, I think, you know, I, I'm bullish on this market. I think that values are going to continue to go up. And I think that Florida is sort of at the early stages of what happened in Ontario, late 2016, early 2017, where it really started to heat up that's really happening right now down here. So I'm trying to get on that train. So new construction makes a lot of sense to me down here. I'm looking in Cape Coral, uh, which is in Southwest Florida. And um, you can still buy lots of, you know, under $30,000 and uh, wow. you can, you know, build something, uh, you know, 1800, 1700 square foot house, three bed, four bed, two bath, something like that with a pool and a lanai, uh, like that screened in covering and uh, be in for, you know, say 300,000, maybe 310. And that could be worth close to 400. So those are the kind of numbers that I like from a burst standpoint, I think there's a lot of room to grow there. So that's where my head's at right now. And then of course, I'm just adjusting as I go. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, Right Club Nation, we want to take a quick break from the podcast to introduce you to a longtime supporter of the Right Club and many members of the Right Club Nation. Mr. Dylan Suter of Elevation Realty. Dylan, take it away. Thank you so much for this opportunity. We as Elevation Realty are the sponsor for the real estate slot at the Right Club and we have been attending since the second Right Club. We are an investment focused, high volume real estate team serving the Golden Horseshoe from Oakville down to Niagara. If you are looking to increase your cash flows or you want to find an incredible opportunity, we deal with builders, we deal with off-market opportunities, as well as we are very creative and negotiate the best deal for even on-market opportunities. We've helped a number of clients with the right club, find flips, single-family rentals, duplex conversions, three and four unit renovations, all the way up to large residential buildings with high cash flow. A little bit about myself, if you haven't heard, personally, I've scaled over 300 doors in the last two years, which has given me a ton of experience in analyzing all the deals that may come across my desk for you. So if you're interested in learning more, please reach out to us at 905-592-4220, or you can email us at admin at elevationrealty.ca, that is admin at E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, and let's sit down and create your investment dream portfolio. Guys, and I have to say, I stand behind Elevation and Dylan. They found me. My last few properties have done an amazing job. 100% recommend them. So thank you for all your hard work. Now, back to the podcast. And now, back to the show. 
And how's the price of lumber <laughs> or do they use lumber? Or it's well, they, they frame cinder block. So uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the entire shell of the house is cinder block. The only thing they really use need to use lumber for is the trusses at the moment. But I mean, okay. if we could figure out a, a solution that's, you know, equally strong for trusses, we could even get away from it there. So yes, you are, you're definitely going to be impacted by lumber. Um, they are still framing interior walls with lumber, but that, that's an easy pivot over to aluminum studs. Like yeah. in apartment buildings, everyone uses aluminum studs and insurance companies like that more anyway. So um, I don't think that that's going to be too much of an issue. Awesome. Yeah, I was, I was looking at your Instagram uh, a little while ago and you were actually talking through uh, finding land and making sure that there's connections and, and utilities nearby because yeah. that could be costly even though the price of the land is, is 30 grand. Can you expand on that? Well, the biggest concern in Cape Coral, as I learn more about this, um, so, so in Cape Coral, you'd have to dig into the road anyway, so that's going to cost you a bunch. So, so to put in a septic and well is roughly the same. What you don't want to get into is if you buy a lot in an area that's, that's got the sewer uh, pending, they're going to bring the sewer down your street and then you're going to have to connect within two years. So you might have just spent, say, $20,000, $25,000 on a well and septic and then they're going to force you to connect to the city and you're going to spend that money all over again. So when you can buy a lot for $25,000, if you're going to get a tax assessment for $25,000 when they bring in the sewer down your street, um, that's not something you want to deal with. And um, you know, I know even on, in Ontario, people have dealt with tax assessments, although it's not as common, but down here, it's, it's a big thing to watch out for when you're buying. You don't want to buy on a street that's about to get a sewer because you're going to have to put in a septic and then you're going to have to replace it. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great, great point there. Um, and just as you know, you're going in and you're expanding and you're, you're getting out of Ontario and, and buying elsewhere, uh, US specifically, what are some things that you're finding out, uh, maybe some challenges or, um, you know, maybe some insights that you can share with somebody saying, I mean, I'm, I'm considering it as well, just looking outside of Ontario into different markets, whether it's Costa Rica mm -hmm. or the US or, or whatnot, what are some, some insights that you've learned along the way? Well, there's a, there's a number of challenges that you got to think about, right? Cross-border investing is something I've done before. And that means you've got two tax filings. That means you're going to have uh, legal entities in the U.S., uh, like an LP or an LLC, and you have to talk to a tax uh, expert that does cross-border that understands the impacts of the tax treaty between Canada and the U.S. Because if you set your entity up one way in the U.S., you could be getting double taxed. So there, there are ways of setting it up where you wouldn't. Um, however, if you were planning to, say, relocate to the U.S. and get something called an E2 visa, which is an investor visa, that would allow me to stay here full-time. And uh, I wouldn't be limited to the six months and I could actually operate my business. I could manage my business. Um, if I were to do that, um, then I might want to set up my entities different. So you, you have to have an entire plan if you want to come down here and invest and you definitely need experts on your, on your side. Um, the funny thing is like, I used to be the guy that wanted to do everything myself and figure it all out myself. But um, when I got into investing in the US the first time around, I realized, okay, I need a really good accountant. I really got to figure this out. Uh, after a couple little hiccups, I'm, I realized uh, the error of my ways. So um, I've, I've held that lesson through. And I think that for anybody who's thinking about it, start with your accountant, talk to them. Uh, and then if you want to go the investor visa route, um, find yourself somebody who's, who's uh, really good at working with Canadians and works with real estate investors, because real estate's not an easy thing to get an investor visa for. Um, what I've learned is they want, they want to see like an all cash investment. They want to see, they don't like it when you borrow, which is kind of tough for a real estate investor. So they want to see you uh, investing a significant amount. So I've kind of structured a plan that I'm going to be applying under um, to get that visa. And basically I would be um, 
showing them that I could build in all cash. So that's helps that I sold a few properties so I can basically have an inventory of lots and then be able to uh, put some money in trust with a lawyer to cover contractor bills and, and draws as, as construction progresses. So that's sort of my angle right now as to what I think I'll do. And I may need to revise that. I'm, I'm working with an immigration lawyer down here. So in E2 doesn't mean I have to have to relocate, but it gives me the option to, I can stay in Canada um, or I can move as a tax resident to Florida. And uh, it's just a matter of where do I spend more time? If I spend more than six months in the U S I can be treated as a U.S. tax resident. Uh, my understanding, not tax advice guys, see your accountant. <laughs> So that leads me to my a bit of a next question is financing. So you mentioned a lot of cash. Have you looked at all at financing options? I know it's very different compared to Canada. So I don't know if it's something you've explored, especially with the networking. I'm sure you've met oh, yeah. mortgage brokers and... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, so for financing, it's definitely doable. Just go to your local RIA. Like they have the, these meetups they have down here, they call them RIAs, um, real estate investor associations, and you'll find them. The guys come into the room that, Hey, we help people flip. We do, you know, 80% financing. One guy even says he does a hundred percent. I said, Hey, what, what difference does it make for me as a Canadian? He says, well, we'll cut you back 10% on the loan to value, but they don't care that I don't have a social security number. Um, they'll still do business with me. Uh, but they want to see my track record. I have to prove that I'm competent and know what I'm doing. Uh, but it's still totally possible. So those people who say Canadians can't do this, I don't buy that. I mean, think about how many more lenders there are in the U.S. compared to Canada. There are so many more options. Um, so, so as far as rate-wise goes, I've been kind of quoted on a passive rental somewhere in the ballpark of 6%. So if I just had a rental property, I'd be at 6 on a on a 30-year amortization. So not nearly as good as Ontario with our 2% interest rates, but at the same time, like you're getting better rent ratio against purchase price down here. So it's possible up in the Tampa area to get 1% rule. So even if you are paying 6% on your mortgage, that's still uh, quite lucrative for many. Yeah, absolutely. If the, if the deal works at 6%, then, you know, it's not that expensive in, in comparison, right? Yeah. If, if the deal doesn't work, it, it you know, even at 6%, you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> you right, always want right. to test your stuff regardless. Well, and then I mean, once, if you do go the E2 route, you can get a social security number in the US and then you can apply as a resident and then you can get much lower uh, interest rates. So even, even to do the visa for that route, again, not advice, look into it, but mm -hmm. <laughs> that's something that I'm considering as well. And there's Absolutely. something about buybacks with mortgages and stuff. I've been, I've been delving into it and I guess you were able to put more cash and then the interest rate goes down, but then it's more cash intensive. So there's okay, really different. And, and, and that makes sense that there would be, because again, they're just analyzing their risk position. They have a lot of non-recourse loans down here, which means they can't hold you liable personally. Like if oh, you wow. default, it's, you know, they take the property. So <laughs> if they, they get very squeamish when they know you're not even a resident in the US, you might just bail on your property. So that's why they kind of adjust their loan to values down. Uh, that's just my understanding of it so far. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Right Club Nation, let's take a quick minute here to meet our sponsor for the week, Blackjack Contracting. They've been serving Niagara, Hamilton, and Brantford areas, and for the past three years, becoming the area's largest basement suite renovation specialist. That's right, and Blackjack works with real estate investors, both new and experienced, converting single-family homes into multiple legal suites and renovating properties to achieve their maximum potential and value. 
Absolutely. And they've completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls and everywhere in between. They handle everything from permitting and design to final cleaning before you list your rentals. And they also have fully licensed electrical contractors certified with the ESA and take jobs of all sizes. Make sure to check them out at blackjackcontractinginc.ca and also follow them on social media at blackjackcontractinginc. And they say investing can sometimes feel like the biggest gamble of your life, but when you have blackjack on your side, the house always wins. So now, back to the podcast. And now, back to the show. That is interesting. And, and Francois also purchased a, a few in, uh, in the U.S. as well. So he's been, uh, he's been working with U.S. properties. And uh, I think you got some good burrs going on. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So that's why. But Florida is my next goal. So right. I guess we'll have to meet up in person. We never met in Canada, but maybe we'll yeah. meet in Florida. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Well, I, I throw this invite out there. If I'm down here, I mean, obviously, by the time this airs, come on down and company's fun. It's it's more fun to have more people down here. And I, I, I'll just say, like, I've had so many people reach out to me saying, hey, Andrew, have you looked into getting a visa down there? I'm like, yeah, I'm doing that right now. Like, they're like, we want to come down. Like so many people, savvy real estate investors in our community are saying, yes, we are looking to, uh, to get our visas and potentially relocate. Um, they want to be investors down here. Uh, I think, you know, this last year in Ontario has really, um, you know, taught a lot of people some unfortunate truths about Canada and where we stand right now. And, uh, you know, right now it seems like it's a pretty great opportunity to be down here. So I'd love some more company. Come, come join the fun. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will say though that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite surprised with how Ontario handled the whole thing, but I'm also more surprised. Like if you look back at like a year and a half ago, like would we have thought that the market would have gone so crazy and in most yeah. markets gone up 40%, like, you know, again, that this is an anomaly, but like what, and without having crystal ball, no one, nobody knows, but like, you know, what do you think is, is happening? I know you, Andrew, you do a lot of digging and searching and, and trying to, you know, figure out meanings of, of different things, but what can you tell us about some of the research that you've done um, on this crazy market and, uh, and, and what you think, uh, you know, might be happening? Well, I think that there's just so many contributing factors that have driven up uh, Canadian real estate prices. At the end of the day, it's all supply and demand. So we have to look at the factors that restrict uh, supply and, and then also overstimulate demand. So on the demand side, we have got international investors with no restriction. So anyone from any country can come in and, and pretty well buy in Canada with no restriction. Um, and then Canada seen it as a very safe place. It's seen, it's seen as a very safe place to store money. So uh, it attracts people on that front. But then we have immigration that's going crazy. Even Justin Trudeau's, you know, announced what 1.2 million over the next three years. Uh, people coming into a, a country where most people want to go to um, Toronto area, Vancouver area, or Montreal. And so when you have so many people, say, pouring into Ontario and all going to one location, our planning process is really slow. It's really hard to get approvals to build new uh, new properties. And then you have all these restrictions with Greenbelt. Um, and then you want to add on to that that um, it's getting very difficult with the COVID restrictions to get lumber because they've shut down mills. Um, pretty well every supply chain is compromised across the board, driving prices up. So when price of new construction goes up, that's going to drive the price of resale up. So all those things, this, this chaotic, perfect storm, and then you add on the fact that our government is basically printing money at an alarming pace, an unprecedented pace. Um, they're dumping more cash into an economy that has less, in go less goods and services available. 
And when you combine all that, so now, so if there's less goods and services, but more dollars, that just means prices go up. So we've had a combination of all these things happening all at once. And I don't see them stopping unless we have something that, that causes a major correction in demand. There is going to be a plateau where prices just get outside of affordability for the average Canadian. And then what we're going to see is more people occupying smaller units. So smaller units or, you know, two families move into a three bed, two bath and, uh, you know, using double the utilities, but, but saving space. Um, I see us kind of eventually going that direction in Ontario, um, smaller and smaller and more and more people cramming into smaller spaces so that they can afford it. Um, but, uh, you know, who knows where it stops, but those are the factors that I see contributing to it. And, uh, sure. There could be a big correction at some point. If, if there was something severe enough happened to the economy that it, it rocked people's confidence and said, okay, if I've got a little bit of money, I better hang on to it. That could, that could correct demand. And then we would see prices fall. So it could happen. We could see a massive correction. We could see no correction. We could see a stagnation or we could see things just continue on and maybe just at a slower pace, but there's no way we continue at, at 30, 40% uh, sustainably unless something really bad's on its way. So um, all speculation. I love talking about this stuff, trying to figure out what's going to happen so that we can position ourselves to, to win as a result of it. Right. Those who hold assets, when inflation happens, it actually helps us. It's helped me. I'm sure it's helped you, Sarah, Francois. Um, you know, it's great when you have assets. It's, it's unfortunate for those who don't, but if, you know, if you're in, in that position, now's the time, you know, get into something that cash flows and uh, make sure you're ready to hold it long-term. Yeah. You mentioned something very interesting on your podcast. So for any of those who listen to your podcast, like creating value. So a lot of people are not creating value right now. And I think that's why like this, this is not sustainable at all. Like salaries are not going up. We're not, yes, we are producing some stuff, but not nearly enough. So yeah, I wonder where that's going to. I don't know if you have any insights yeah. on the job market and. Well, I mean, it's hard to work when government won't let you, right? Yeah. I mean, I have, <laughs> I have multiple people who can't come work right now because they're under stay at home orders um, because they came into contact with somebody. So, um, you know, when that kind of thing's happening, it's, it's going to create a challenge. Um, but I, I heard this statistic and I'm trying to find where, where I, I, I found this, but basically only 20% of Canada's population is actually producing goods and services, AKA not working for government um, and actually able to work right now, only 20% of all people in Canada. So that means all 100% are consumers, but only 20% are creating value. Um, that is a recipe for disaster. Um, so can you imagine, you know, that means 20% of the, of the population of Canada props up the rest of the country. Because uh, governments just consume value. They don't actually create value. They redistribute and consume. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we've got to get back to a place. Like if we could get back to a place where, where nearly 100% of the population or like call it 80%, we're producing goods and services. Um, think about how much lower taxes would need to be. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have all these needs for support. People would be able to support their own families. They wouldn't need government intervention. Um, I, you know, my macro look as, at it is, is the government has just gotten way too big, way too many services um, being provided. And I think if we were to learn something out of this last year and a half and this reckless spending, this craziness, like think about any of us, uh, you know, we, we make, say we make $3,000 a month and we decide we're going to spend four, how long until you're bankrupt, right? Like you got a few months, a year, <laughs> you know, yet the government can do it for, for decades at a time and never stop and never be held accountable. So um, I'm hoping we see something change on that front because I just don't see how this could be sustainable going forward. I think that if we stay on this path, it leads Canada to be a second rate nation, uh, third world nation. Um, we don't want to be that, you know, I'm, I'm 
very, very proud to be, you know, Canadian as I grew up, but I'm certainly not, not proud of our government. I'm really not proud of what's happened. No, I, I think it's, uh, it's quite unfortunate. And, uh, you know, without, without getting into the politics and stuff like mm-hmm. that, I wouldn't have expected that from mm-hmm. a conservative uh, premier, but, you know, no, me neither. It is, it is what crazy. it is. I mean, I, I think yeah. part of it is, is somebody's, you know, pulling the strings and, you know, I think he's, he's becoming more and more the, the puppet, you know, comparing that to where you are yeah. with a premier, uh, you know, somebody that's, that's leading the, you know, Florida, the state of Florida, um, that is actually able to, you know, stand up for the people. And again, not everybody is going to be, uh, agreeing with what we're saying. And I don't want to get into the politics per se, but you know, I think wherever, wherever you were standing at some point, you're going to, you know, there's no reason why we should still be in this a year and a half later. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, it's kind of an abstract discussion, but you know, if, if no man or woman has more rights than another, then how does, uh, uh, you know, 100 men or women in, in a legislature have the right to take away the human rights of another? Um, I think the big thing that we've forgotten is that we all assume risk every day. We, we assume risk when we walk outside the sidewalk, a car could jump the curb and kill us. Uh, if we get in a car, we could get in a car accident and we've got a death rate associated with that. We could get struck by lightning. Uh, there's a million things. I mean, to live, you must assume risk. Um, and what our government's tried to do is say, well, we can make you safe and we can take away that risk, but we're going to take away your choice too. Um, but that's not what it is to, to live. To live is to, to, to choose to take the risk in order to live. Mm-hmm. And uh, things have really changed. And, and maybe it's easier for me to say that being down here in, in Florida, because that's just what the government did. It said, you make the choice. You want to stay home, stay home. If you want to go out, go out. And they're doing okay. Like they're doing just fine. Like cases have been on the decline or stagnated, um, which is interesting, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, they, I think they're only about 27% vaccinated down here, uh, which is similar to Ontario, yet fully open. You know, UFC fight just happened the other day, uh, about a week ago, and they packed it 15,000 people. So just a different world. And and um, this just means to me, we need an open discussion, right? There's always two sides to the, the, the debate, but we're not being allowed to hear we're both sides. We're not balancing it out, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Let's hear both sides. Doctors, let's look at the doctors like from a yeah. mental health standpoint, mm-hmm. not just, uh, you know, specific doctors for, from a different uh, or one specific. Yeah, but, yeah but exactly. Just balance, right? Yeah. Let's go back to inflation for a second, because I, I know mm-hmm. you mentioned, you know, governments and printing money, and it's not like we could just create more money ourselves, but the government seems to be doing a lot of it. Um, and you know, like what are some of the risks? I mean, and, and you've probably done some research, but, but hyperinflation and, 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 you know, creating inflation very, very quickly by printing a lot of money can be very dangerous. Like what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, if you made a great point there, if you or I were to create money in our house or create currency, we we'd go to jail for a criminal offense yet. The government can do it like ad nauseum, like they can just do it as much as they want. Uh, and it's called uh, economic easing. They create these nice names to make it sound or like it's, easing, it's responsible yeah. <laughs> or they give it to you. They say, we're, cre- we're creating a benefit for you. <laughs> don't, don't worry about the fact that we're taking it from you to give it to you. Um, what, what it is, it, you need to look at inflation. Everyone listening needs to look at inflation for what it really is. It's a tax on your buying power. So the government has two ways of taxing you. There's the direct tax, like sales tax, tax income tax. And then there's the indirect tax, which is inflation. So if they don't have enough money, they print more, which basically just effectively steals from everyone who has dollars. It just steals equally from everyone in their buying power. But you don't see it in your bank account, so you don't get mad. But if somebody handed you a beer with half beer and half water, you'd be like, what's this? I don't want to drink. This, is, this isn't what I ordered. Um, but uh, you know, I think we're just conditioned not to see that, not to pay attention to it, and that's unfortunate. But the issue with uh, the potential pending hyperinflation is 
say that people have been a, a reasonable level of concerned and not wanting to spend money in the last year. I don't know if we can really say that's true, but say that people have been a little conservative in their spending. So they've been getting their benefit, they've been collecting their full salary, and they've been saving up. And a lot of people, there's, I've talked to a lot of real estate investors, particularly that are in a very cash rich position right now. And what happens when all those people start spending? What happens when the velocity, they call that the velocity of money, how fast people are spending and how many times money cycles in an economy? What happens when that speeds up? Um, if we think inflation has been bad, and I think, I think you know, most people will notice that it, groceries have gone up this year. Last couple of years, I've noticed you know, the average bill in the grocery store going up quite a bit. What happens when we drive that up even more so? What happens when in the summer, because of our compromised supply chain with food and, and they're not allowing um, migrant workers to actually bunk up. So, so a lot of Canadian, Canadian farmers are saying, we're not gonna be able to, to produce a solid yield this year. So what happens when we have even less food yield and then even more dollars trying to get it? Um, it can quickly turn into hyperinflation. And back in the seventies, they had a crisis. Uh, this is why interest rates went to, to 20%. My mom and dad told me the story of how they renewed their mortgage and they went to the banker and he's like, you're in luck. Rates just went down. You're 12, 12 and three quarter percent to renew today. And, uh, you know, we think that sounds high. Can you imagine when we get into a state where we're 20 percent plus inflation every year, meaning you're being robbed of 20 percent of your purchasing power? Even that that's not considered hyperinflation, but that's that's scary. And um because people's wages aren't going up. So the risk is, uh, is absolute dependence. What happens when you can't get food, when you can't get water? That's the risk. That's why we can't take this risk. We have to stop this because if you can't get the basic essentials of life, what will you be willing to accept so that you can feed your family? It creates desperation and dependency. And um, that's never worked in history. And, and that's the big thing that, that I see as a danger of all this. It's not, it's not about speculating. Is there, is there an agenda on this? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But if we continue down this path, we're, we're putting ourselves at an incredible risk. And it's a risk that no one will talk about. Um, we, we need to be able to, to pay for the basics. And uh, we're losing that ability every single day in Canada, so, which, is, which is the reason I want to diversify on to the other side of the border, because that's a political hedge to me, right? If I don't like the politics in one country, I, now I'm protected because I have some in another country too. And that's why I think the Right Club is all about educating about real estate investment. But I think it goes beyond that. It's in, like educating people about having multiple streams of income, which you're doing, even though it might be real estate, but in two countries. So then, yeah, you're, you're, you're creating a hedge and safeguarding your assets and, mm -hmm. and being smart about it. Because I know a lot of our listeners also still have a job, but if you're yeah. fully dependent on your job, what happens if your employer disappears? Then you yeah. have your assets. If you don't have your assets, you still have your job. I mean, you need to diversify. And I, that's very smart. Absolutely. And I, to that point, I know people that are crushing it with like this stock hacking thing. This is blown up in our investor community. So many people doing that where they're selling options and stuff. I went golfing with a guy from Ontario down here and he was just killing it. And he's like, yeah, I way, make way more than I do from my job. But he's, but he's like, I want to keep my job. I'm like, yeah, that's not a, that's not a bad idea because things could change in a dime in that market. And if that's your only source of income, you could be put in a difficult position. So even though you don't want to work your job, having multiple streams is, is very important. You don't want to be dependent on anyone at any time ever. 
And like that, that's my philosophy. I don't want to be dependent on anyone. I don't want to be dependent on my contractor. I'm going to make sure that I can take control of that project if I need to. Um, and that's the way I live my life. Cause I, I got burned very badly early in my real estate investing. And I think that's what, what maybe makes me a little bit more concerned with what's happening with Ontario. I'm like, if I don't trust my contractor, I definitely don't trust that, that politician, um, you know, with the, the amount of people that, uh, that, uh, you know, want to control his decisions. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's just kind of the way I think about it. Not to get down too many tangents here. No, absolutely. But you're, but you're right. I mean, it, it is important to diversify. It's important mm -hmm. to look at the good, look at the bad. And like they say, mm -hmm. average millionaire has five, five different sources of income. So don't yeah. put your eggs all in one basket, including real estate, right? Including real estate right. in the same area. Um, and I think it's great that you, uh, you started diversifying. Yeah. while you're doing that as well. Um, I'm diversifying into something you know, different in terms of a, a resort that we're building. But, you know, my next move is going to be, uh, you know, the U.S. or possibly Costa Rica. I'm looking at that as well. So, right. um, yeah. but I think it's, it's important to, uh, to have more than one source of income. I know you mentioned stock options. I don't do that, but, you know, I have, I have uh, other things that I do as well. Um, and then, you know, if one doesn't do as well, at least you are not... Yeah. Uh, you know, stuck. And I, and I think that this is a good time that if you're speculating, don't speculate because there's a lot of people that if things turn and everything's been good for the last 10 years, but at some point things will, will, you know, pivot. And a lot of, uh, a lot of speculators might, might be left unfortunately in a bad situation. So cash flow, cash flow, cash flow and diversification, I think yeah. is, is a great thing. You, you said it. Yeah. That's, that's what I say. You know, cash flow, you can't ever, ever, pass on cash flow. You have to have cash flow. If you're speculating your negative cash flow, or you're like, oh, Andrew, I can't find anything. I hear that. You know, I can't find anything in Ontario. Look somewhere else. But Don't it doesn't have compromise. to be that much either. Like even yeah. if it's a if you if you've got barely any of your own money because you've refinanced it out or, or whatnot, mm -hmm. and you've got like you're making a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars a month, but you're you've accounted for your maintenance, your capex, your vacancy yeah. allowance, your everything else, that's like at least that's some cash flow, you know what I mean? But yeah. you're not paying somebody to live there for five hundred dollars extra that you're coming out of pocket every month. But we do need to be, do need to be prepared mentally, and and there's a difference in where you're at as an investor. When you're early on and you risk bankruptcy, you accept that as a risk. I mean, I certainly risked some stuff that I don't risk anymore when I got started. Um, but I mean, rents could go down 20%. What happened if that happened, right? Run these scenarios in your head. And I'm probably one of the more conservative investors out there. Like there are a lot of people in Ontario way more aggressive than I am these days. But I like to cover myself, you know, six different ways. Um, I want to be covered. And if, if I don't feel comfortable with the prospect of, a, of rents going down 20% uh, and my value going down. So picture your property rents down 20% and your property underwater, meaning your, your value is less than your mortgage are you still cool to hang on to that property for 20 years? And that if, if your answer is yes, and for some people it will be right. Even if it goes down 20%, they're still cash flowing or they're still okay. And they like the property. They like the fundamentals. Um, if you invest like that, then you're not going to regret anything. Uh, you're going to say, I made the best decision I could. You know, I, I like this property. I'll hang on to it. It'll work out. It'll pay for itself in the long run, but you don't have the staying power. If, as you said, Sarah, you don't have cash flow. If you don't have cash flow and your property's underwater, you're, you're going to say, well, uh, this isn't going to work. I'm going to realize my loss or, you know, and it, and it could put a lot of people into bankruptcy. And, and I don't want to see that. I want to see our, our investors make smart decisions and, and, um, you know, be in it for the long run. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're saying something that's interesting. It, it, could rent go down 20%? I mean, here's the thing. In, in some markets, it's gonna, it's a very, very slim chance. In some other markets, you know, with higher vacancy rates, condos in Toronto, I mean, that, you know, that, that's gone down. You do have to plan for everything. But, um, you know, when I look at like, uh, you know, properties, two-hour radius, vacancy of, you know, under 2%, still lots of demand, low supply. I mean, here's the thing is, is cause I don't, you know, is that probable? Probably not. Could it potentially happen one day uh, in the worst case scenario? Uh, sure. But I, but I also don't want people to say, I'm going to have analysis paralysis. I'm not going to do anything because a 20% drop would kill me. Well, in a market like Ontario, where the government dictates the uh, amount that we can increase, which in 2021 is absolutely nothing. We can't do any rent increases. Um, and market rents going up and up and up because ultimately, even if the market does take a, you know, a 20% nosedive in, in prices yeah. or people are panicking and selling, where are they going to live? They still have to rent. So right. I think it's still yep. far and few between the risk of that, but I do understand like yeah, you want to stress yeah. test it. You want to say in, maybe instead of, of rents going down 20%, rates increasing a heck of a lot. Are you that still cash flowing at five or 6%? So um, but there's going to be some some good opportunities, I but, think, in, in every single market, even if, if there's, uh, you know, a correction down the road. So so to that point, Sarah, I will say, like, when I got started, I didn't care about that. Like, <laughs> the deal worked. I mean, you have to have some faith. So, I mean, when you're getting started, if you play it so conservative, you'll never go anywhere. And that's not advice. That's just how I see it. Um, but now I can be a little bit more careful now. And I can say, well, why don't I just look to a new market where if that did happen, I'd like it. You know, so, so the market I'm looking at now, that would be okay. Um, it's not ideal, but you know, that's why people are going to places like Sudbury or why they were going to Windsor, because even if that happened and they might not have thought of it consciously that way, but they knew they had a buffer. They knew they had a buffer. Mm -hmm. And when I see that you don't have a buffer in Ontario and most Southwestern Ontario markets right now, and we're, we're pressing the level of affordability with the average income and what people are having to pay to rent a place. I'm like, how much further up can this go? Unless people start piling in there, you know, 12 people living in a three bed, two bath. Um, sure, it could happen, but I don't really want to rent to that kind of group. Um, so I just see that, that that's a bit of a challenge. And I, I do think a correction is possible. I don't think it's necessarily likely, but I'd rather just avoid the speculation and go find a market that makes a lot more sense for cash flow. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Everybody's got to do what they feel is right for them. And just because it's right for me doesn't mean it's right for someone else. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I would just say, you know, cash flow in the US and cash flow in Canada is going to be different. You'll get, you'll get the more lift in Canada, but as long as you still cash flow, I mean, you know, it doesn't, it's not, cash flow is not going to make you what's, what's going to create your wealth, right? Ultimately, I mean, you, you got, you got to scale yeah. and you got to do quite a bit, but the cash flow will help sustain the ups and downs, especially mm -hmm. on the downs. And, you know, you don't want to have an 08 and 09, like, like in the US happen in Canada. And then all of a sudden everybody loses their shirt and they, they, mm -hmm. you know, they can't afford to keep the properties. So stress test your, your properties hundred percent. Andrew, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. um, awesome. So we can keep talking because I, I think it's fun, but we're going to go into our lightning round next. And we're going to ask you sure. a or questions and you're going to give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Sure, go ahead. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one triple eight mtgteam 
and check out their website, butlermortgages.com or by email daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. All right, question number one, Andrew, what is the best advice that you have ever received from another investor or at a networking event? Oh, wow, that's a really good one. Um, someone probably somewhere told me, don't trust anyone. <laughs> and in the contracting world, I think that's, that's good advice. That is good advice. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I agree. <laughs> question you have number to earn two. the trust. Earn the yeah. trust. Earn you have the to earn it. Don't yeah. give it by default. Make them earn it. That's, that's what I would say. You can trust them once, you, once they earn it. Don't find your contractor on Kijiji, eh? I, I've done that. I found a lot. And that was probably why I learned that lesson. <laughs> it's trust, but verify. That's what they say. And I, I agree with yeah. it. So sometimes, like yeah. you mentioned, a younger investor and all that. So, so I need to get started. Well, we want to believe the best in people, right? You really want to, you're like, you know what? I want to shake your hand, look you in the eye and we'll, you know, man to man or man to woman we'll make a deal and we'll do this, but not everybody, uh, not everybody acts that way. And you got to acknowledge that. So you got to make sure that they, you, you learn about them, their integrity and let them show you in small examples that they can be trusted. Absolutely. Uh, second question. So what is your favorite resource for real estate investing? Anything, a book, a person, an event? Um, biggest thing for me is networking. So getting into your local uh, real estate investment meetup, um, obviously in Canada, that's challenging right now. They've come back in Florida. That's been really nice. Uh, but the absolute biggest thing has been connecting with people who are doing it. So find somebody in your area. Um, I found mentors, not from real estate investor meetups, but I found other investors that were crushing it. And I just, I, I watched everything they did. And I, I took what I liked, left what I didn't like. And I, I adapted that into my strategy. Awesome. Great, uh, great insight there. Question number three, what is the one attribute that has made you most successful in your opinion? Um, not making the same mistake twice. <laughs> Learning from my mistakes. That's, that's the big thing. Cool. Awesome. And final question, what do you typically do on a Sunday morning? Um, I typically make breakfast for my wife and we, uh, we hang out and might listen to some, uh, some soothing, calming meditation music, or maybe possibly put on a, uh, a religious service of some sort in the background. Uh, yeah. We'd like to like to make uh, Sunday mornings peaceful. All right. Very cool. That was our lightning round. Thanks for playing Andrew. Where can our right club community reach out and find out more about you? Probably the easiest place is my uh, Instagram page, which is just at the Andrew Hines. And um, if anyone wants my, my cash flow spreadsheet, a lot of people like to use that when they're analyzing deals. You can grab that on my website. It's andrew-hines.com. Awesome. And you also have a podcast. What is the name of that? The podcast is uh, the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. So whatever platform you listen on, just search my name, Andrew Hines, and you will find it. Awesome. Final last words of advice. We always ask this as the very final question for our guests. Okay. So, so trust your gut uh, when you're, when you're analyzing investments, if something doesn't feel right or something, something seems too good to be true, it probably is acknowledge. You, you do have to introspect here. You have to spend some time quiet with your thoughts. Am I being analysis paralysis paranoid or am I 
um, you know, am I valid in my concern? And you do need to learn to trust your gut. And sometimes it takes time. It takes experience. So if you've got a good vibe on something and you've done your numbers and they make sense and, and you're just scared because it's new, then, you know, not advice, but I mean, that's typically the time and point where I would, I would take action. Even if I don't know everything, if I have a good feel and I've done a, a very reasonable amount of research and I think I, I'm well hedged. Amazing. Andrew, thank you so much for being a great guest on our show. And uh, we hope to have you back again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was, it was great talking to you both. I always like talking to Andrew. I mean, he's got tons of great insights. I mean, he does a lot of research about what's happening in the market, you know, what the fundamentals are in terms of the, the overall like politics and global economy and, you know, the, the discussion on, uh, on money printing and, and inflation was interesting and also about like what he's doing in Florida. I think uh, that is awesome. What about you, uh, Francois? Have, uh, have you taken any, uh, any good insights that you wrote down for uh, what you want to do, implement potentially or uh, change for, for down the road? Yes. Yeah, so the burr, I've been wanting to do the burr, but I'm in Ottawa and markets, it's just been too insane to find anything that has any space for a lift. Even if you renovate, it just doesn't make sense. And I have been looking at Florida, so very excited. And I, I hear Andrew will be spending more time there and I've actually never met him in person in Canada. So maybe at a live meetup in Florida, that's really good. We can talk about burr strategies or I don't know, uh, investing in, in the U.S. So that's great. Awesome. All right. Sounds good. Well, when you check out Florida, let me know. I, uh, I'm thinking of joining you either Florida, either Florida or, or Costa Rica. I mean, we've got something really cool happening in, uh, at the right club with Costa Rica and some opportunities. Yes. So I, I may actually do that one. Uh, I've always, you know, had a, a soft spot for, uh, for that country. And, uh, I, I like a lot of their fundamentals, but on that note, Francois, great co-hosting with you. Uh, Andrew, if you're listening to this, you are awesome. You know, thank you for providing so much value and also with the podcast as well. Like he's got a great podcast, guys. Go and download it. Go and search it. Uh, it, is, uh, it is awesome. And, uh, you know, he really dissects deals as well um, with all the financials and all the numbers and, and many other great things. So go check out his podcast. Francois, thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to The Right Club Podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.